Hello and welcome to the second podcast from the technology team at Cancer Research UK. I'm Graham. I'm Josie and we are from the UX team here at Cancer Research UK. We started this podcast to help tell the story of what we do um, and in the hope that other charities and people who are interested in technology will find it helpful or interesting to hear about our experiences. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Rob Leyland, who is the innovation manager in the technology innovation team. Rob's been at CRUK for two and a half years, joining to support our digital transformation as a proposition manager before moving to technology innovation just over a year ago. Before that, he worked in product management roles at a leading utility company website. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. It's good to have you here. Hi, guys. It's a pleasure to be here in the uh, cave. <laughs> I can't say cave, can I? You can say cave. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, we'd just like you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your role at CRUK, um, and basically what a, what being a technology innovation manager involves. Sure. It's a, it's a good question. It's one I get asked a lot when I go to meetings for the first time with people, and they're kind of, what does that mean? Um and I guess innovation can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. It can be sort of building an innovation. It can be um, influencing innovation culture. Uh, so in technology innovation, what we've really been doing is looking at new technologies and trying to understand how they can be of value to Cancer Research UK. Um, and that can be sort of from looking at researching and and doing a broad sweep of, of technology um, right up to, to building stuff as well. And we do, you know, that the sort of technology innovation space, I think, can be quite future thinking and futurologist. And um, a lot of the work we do tries to take some of that out of technology innovation and actually uh, learn through experimentation, through building, through that sort of sort of activity as well, um, which can give a, a deeper understanding of um, of sort of technologies that you feel like you really should be looking into. And in terms of the innovation setup at CRUK, how would you how would you describe that? Is there anything you think is particularly good about it, or anything? Yeah. Um, so at CRUK, I guess. Um, there's a lot of change happening at the moment in the innovation space. So uh, for quite some time, we've had a number of different uh, innovation teams um, across the the charity who've looked after specific domains, um, and those have been quite departmental. Um, and so at, at CIUK, we're really shaking things up in, in that space, um, bringing together some of those innovation teams to form a central innovation team to kind of cut across uh, departmental um uh, sort of uh, structures um, where you know if you're doing something innovative, it often might not fit fit the model. Um, and other teams have sort of become more product development, so looking at what what the next iteration or, or new product in their specific space could be. And so in our team, we've we've recently changed as well to be emerging technology rather than technology innovation. Uh, hopefully, to bring sort of more clarity to. Uh, the expertise that we aim to provide the organisation with um, and to fit into that sort of having a central innovation team who are, who are trying to change the DNA of the of the charity itself. So uh, last episode, we spoke to Anna Binio about the tech strategy um, and also there's obviously been lots of changes in, in your world as well alongside that. Yeah, so how does your work fit in with the CIK tech strategy? Great question. Yes. So I guess part of the name change as well is to to uh, explain how we fit into um, to the tech strategy and to the leaky boats and rocket ships. Um, and I think it can be quite easy to, to assume that maybe 
a team looking at emerging technology is purely about the rocket ships and doesn't care about the leaky boats and equally might find it difficult to operate when there are leaky boats to be fixed. Um, I think the way I find is useful to position it is a lot of our work uh, might seem like kind of rocket ships at the moment, but actually could be helping to fix future leaky boats. So (laughs) it's kind of cheesy to say it that way, but um, it's really looking at new technologies that people might not be using so much yet, but we need to build ourselves to be able to uh, interpret and build with in the future. So um, And cope with the, like, the new demands that, that this world is kind of bringing us. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Does that sound really cheesy? <laughs> um, but yeah, if you, if you think about how sort of the internet uh, has evolved and developed and websites and uh, a lot of what our team does is all around um, building great web experiences... It's kind, of, but but in doing that has, you know, perhaps uh, left some bits that need joining up or systems that need joining up that we've done a lot of work on over the last few years um, and continue to do. I guess that you know that the point is to try to um, build out organically to avoid those those integrations that are needed later down the line. Yeah, and. We've noticed internally that one of the things that you've been putting a lot of energy and a lot of focus into recently is um, conversational AI. And I guess on behalf of of ourselves and our listeners, we'd just like you to um, maybe tell us why that's been an an area of focus. Sure, yeah. So conversational artificial intelligence, um, so things like voice devices and chatbots, um, is an area we've been looking at uh, for, for a few reasons. So um, one is that that we think ultimately it can have quite a disruptive effect on a lot of the things we do. Um, but it's also backed up by quite a few uh, market stats uh, that, that say that this is something that, that we should kind of be taking seriously. Um, so very early on when we started looking at, um, at that sort of stuff, I guess sort of back 2016-ish, when we started saying this is something we should potentially be looking at, we saw a lot of people were building um, voice and chatbot uh, experiences. So uh, there were 100,000 bots on Facebook Messenger in its first year of launch. um, And now there are are 25,000 skills. So skills are the equivalent of apps um, on the Amazon Alexa store. So people are building stuff in pretty big numbers. And we're also seeing that that a lot of people are using these too. So, um, for example, user adoption of voice-enabled speakers over the last three years is uh, reportedly reportedly um, outpacing smartphones and tablets being launched at the same time. So uh, there, there's a really fast adoption by people of, of this technology. Um, and we also uh, know that over 50% of people have access to and use um, voice assistants, whether it's on their phone, uh, on voice-enabled speakers. So people are starting to use these, and and it's important to understand at least what the impacts might be of people doing that, but possibly also to interpret that into things that that you offer out to to those users because it's how they want to use stuff. So since this technology came out of the horizon um, for for CRUK and yourself in particular, um, what have what have Cancer Research UK been doing in in that space? Yes, yeah, so um, we started out looking at uh, voice technology 
And uh, we started by launching a voice skill um, called a flash briefing on Amazon Alexa, which uh, basically takes a, an RSS feed and reads it out to someone who's subscribed to your publication. So uh, we saw that as um, a, a way for us to benchmark activity on voice devices and hopefully also offer out something really useful um, to people. So we knew that our science blog had a had a really strong readership um, and it seemed like a really good fit to offer out our science blog content on on voice. So that that's how we started off there. And then uh, we looked a bit further at creating something that was um, bespoke to what Cancer Research UK do. So one of the areas that we focus on in our research strategy is around prevention. So we looked at how voice devices might be useful to provide health information that could help people uh, ultimately prevent their risk of cancer. Um, and we released a voice skill um, that let people track their alcohol consumption. And, and how... Um, have these initial tests been received? Like, have, have we seen good results or against what we anticipated? Or it's a good question. Yeah. Um, so what we saw with that, the alcohol tracker particularly, was that um, we got a lot of coverage in really interesting publications around that. So uh, ones that you might not usually expect to be covering cancer awareness content, uh, and that that fulfilled uh, a goal of. Um, doing that activity, which was to raise awareness of the link between alcohol and cancer, which not uh, that many people still know, unfortunately. Um, but in terms of, of of usership, it was really interesting because although we got an awful lot of views um, in the tens of thousands of the video content we put out to support the the alcohol tracker, which we filmed in one of our mega stores, um, actually. In terms of, uh, of use, we saw a real, real drop off from people sort of being aware and having visibility of the the skill to actually using it. Um, and we definitely saw that, you know, there there are there are definitely barriers and efforts needed by people to decide. Yeah, I want to use this skill, so they need to have the relevant device. They need to know yeah. how to download an app for it. Um, that they need to then be able to use the app so that there's there's lots of lots of hurdles there that um that that can can mean that you really need a a killer use of your voice skill i think to get um to, to get really high usership levels at the moment but that's a super interesting like learning in itself from doing a test like that isn't it like putting it out there and then see, like observing the behavior and then sort of realizing maybe where there's a kind of drop off then that would give us another area of focus to like run some more tests or do, do you know put some more effort into right? yeah exactly and it's made us think a bit harder about um what what use cases we might try to to fulfill through voice and what people might really want to to use these devices for and to scan around sort of um, what's been working in in the voice app uh, market, but I, I'd say it's also definitely been a great learning that that you can get some really strong coverage at the moment if you release interesting uh, products into the voice space because there's you know not that much on the market at the moment, so people are really interested in this in this sort of thing. And the approach that you took to that was actually you did a design sprint, didn't you? But actually, it was a really interesting learning curve because. I remember reading something about the, the way that you had to kind of create the roles in the design sprint and how you, you know, you're not designing a, a sort of um, a visual interface. You have to, um, you're, de you're designing an auditory one and it's, you know, that was also a good learning for the team. 
Yeah, so there, there were kind of new skills that that were used in in that team. So one, a couple of people were working on storyboarding, and it was sort of how you do a film script almost. It's kind of this person says this, then the user might say something along these lines. Uh, then this is what Alexa would say back to them. So it's it's a different a different way of sketching out and and storyboarding compared to sort of normally you might have a screen and then another screen and the path a user can take might not divert. Actually, when you're building for voice, uh, quite often it might divert or it might not be completely linear. It might jump back to a different place. So uh, using Post-its is super useful for doing that sort of stuff. We also had a, a task in the team, which was the one I was doing, actually, which was basically just checking that Alexa would read stuff out in a sensible way. So there were certain things like, even I think Cancer Research UK, Alexa didn't necessarily say, uh, right, unless you added the right intonation. So it, it was really interesting. We had a slightly customized conveyor belt to um, to build the skill out. Something like that's probably pretty uh, crucial as well to get right. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Name of, the mean, name of the brand. <laughs> and the other thing you'd say is, you know, this stuff, it's really important. It's tested with users and we, we test pretty much everything with users. Users here, we're really lucky to have, you know, uh, a usability lab where we can do that. But with... with um, technology like voice it's still new it's still got its quirks and its uh, clunks that amazon have like twelve thousand people ironing out but um you know it is important to check this stuff works with users not just from a how you've designed it point of view but also what the technology actually does with what you've designed so there's there's kind of two layers there yeah and what's the potential of these emerging technologies then yeah so i think um the potential is enormous and it's quite easy sometimes to get caught up in sort of the, the clunkiness that I mentioned around the technology at the moment. But if you think about any scenario where it would be preferable to have uh, just be able to say something to, to someone rather than get out your smartphone, look at a screen, go through a web form, all of those things that are very unnatural that we've sort of learned to do over time. Um Actually, th there's a massive amount of potential where, where voice lowers effort for people, makes things more convenient and, and more organic to what, what humans are, are built to be able to do. We, you know, we, we, we've sort of learned how to do stuff, but fundamentally we're more built to say things than we are to, lo to you know, to, to log on somewhere and, and then use web forms and deal with error messages. Uh, so... so I think, you know, if you look at where, where voice could go and where voice could go reasonably quickly with the amount of um, of time and money that's being put towards it doing so, it's uh, it's got massive potential to sort of replace um, screen experiences at the moment. It's super interesting to see such a, like... Um a driving force at the moment with voice and stuff because I remember when I was studying I studied psychology and computing and we were you know learning about the research at Xerox Park and back in the you know 1980s and whatever and and, and vo um, you know voice and UIs were, were being looked at back then but then everything sort of goes under the radar and it was the same with sort of tablets and, and iPads that, that vision happened such a long time ago and then actually it takes such a long time for it to get out into the public market. But there seems to be quite a lot of traction at the moment and there's been a big push. Yeah, I think a lot of it's been the technology getting there to actually make those devices effective. So I've said they're clunky, but it's pretty amazing that, you know, your smart enabled speaker can pick up what you're saying with loads of background noise, can handle a lot of different accents. I mean, 
computing's come to a point where it's sort of been a tipping point for a lot of the things that are needed for a smart enabled speaker to work that that it can now do that connectivity with the internet speeds of internet communication all those things they sort of combine together um and what we've got now is a pretty sophisticated piece of technology that's in an awful lot of people's uh homes so you know there's more and more data feeding into what's done with that and uh and more and more people are getting used to using it now and are there any other charities or maybe organizations in the public sector doing um something similar Yes, yeah, so um, there's there's a couple of charities that have done stuff very close to their um, primary cause, similar to sort of the, the alcohol tracking that that, um, that we did. So uh, Breast Cancer Care have released uh, an Alexa skill that let, sort of runs you through uh, doing a check of your breasts. Um, so really good use of voice for facilitating something that would otherwise be quite difficult if you if you needed your you know your hands to do it. Um, the NSPCC have uh, released a skill that's um, all around quizzing and parents taking on kids. And uh, it's basically to raise awareness of internet safety among children. But they, they've used the quiz dynamic that's been really popular on uh, Alexa devices since it got released. Um, and BHF have released... Uh, uh, a skill which lets you collect your furniture, which is obviously really handy to people, but also um, for the first time in the UK, lets people donate money through voice, which obviously I, I'm sure a lot of charities listening to this will be thinking about um, as, as a new income income stream. And it is a really exciting sort of prospect in the, in the charity fundraising area, I think. And I guess that's super important. And you mentioned disruption earlier on. Um, and I guess we're now in a sort of opt-in world. So charities need to be, um, you know, thinking more about how they can kind of keep up, um, you know, donations and things. So I guess if there's another channel available, that's going to help that that mission. Yeah, def- definitely. And I think uh, it's very enticing. And obviously, there's a lot of people buying these devices who find them easy and convenient to use for certain things so um it's being user-led in a way to be looking at um looking at this sort of thing uh i guess you know there's still a lot of proving to say that people are prepared to uh on mass make sort of payments even over voice devices um but i think it should be on every charity's radar that this is something that's coming that's already been launched in in the usa with a large number of, of charities with sort of slicker functionality than is available here at the moment. Um, but it's it's definitely a, a, an income stream that charities should be keeping an eye on, at least, I think. I think most of the examples that you chatted through, the, in particular the breast cancer care one, were really interesting and really inventive. Um, but playing devil's advocate in this situation, are there any potential risks with this type of technology that you're aware of? Yeah, so I've already brought up one, I think, which is just sort of usership and findability of the things that that you make. So with voice, it's not really a case of if you build it, they will come. I mean, it isn't with a lot of things, but this is still a very new technology to people. A lot of people who have voice, um, they they might not necessarily know how to access it um, or or particularly know how to access stuff that that third parties release on it. so some other areas would be uh, sort of looking into and checking you're happy with what's going to happen with the data that people provide. So if you're particularly 
looking at capturing any sensitive or personal data, you need to be confident that um, it's being used in the right way and, and who's going to be controlling it and what the flow of data is going to be. Um, so it's, it's worth making sure you, you know that stuff and it's signed off by the relevant people in your organisation. Another area to think about is accessibility. So uh, voice might actually open up accessibility to some people who find screens very difficult, but audio-only experiences, you need to think about uh, users who would find that particularly difficult to use. Um, so it, it's interesting because it kind of potentially makes things more accessible for some people, but the, the sort of... Uh, workarounds like screen readers that have been built for screens don't necessarily exist for voice yet and there are organizations looking at that but um so in many ways voice is going to act in addition to all of the other activity that we do and not as a replacement to it at the moment i think that's definitely the best way to look at it um and i don't i don't think anyone could say they know for sure uh <laughs> whether it will re completely replace certain things or not um yeah, and I know one of the examples that we've talked about outside of this podcast has been um, Google Duplex, and I just wanted to touch on any ethical implications that you think either that or any other um, voice AI tech at the moment has. Yeah, I think Duplex is a, a really interesting one, and actually it's very timely to be talking about it because um, the beta of Google Duplex is... Uh, alleged to be launched in November. I'm not sure if it has or, or, or not yet. Um, but for those who aren't aware of what Google Duplex is, it's um, functionality where you can ask your voice assistant to do something. So say, book a haircut between 10 and 12, and it will phone some someone up, impersonate a human to book the appointment uh, with someone over the phone. Uh, and, and Google clearly see that as a really good way to... Uh, make voice work with people who don't have sort of automated services to interact with like small businesses um, there, are, there are a few kind of interesting things in what they demoed with Duplex so one is that they said sort of book a haircut 10 to 12 they didn't ask sort of who you wanted to book that haircut with and that's a, a really interesting thing around voice is sort of who controls the experiences that someone's pointed to um, another uh, really interesting thing obviously is just that it's impersonating a human being um that the sort of impersonate a human being point is interesting uh both for voice and chatbots um a lot of the time what you provide conversationally can come across as you're talking to a human and uh there can be a lot of sort of implications of uh conversational artificial intelligence sort of um, playing with people's emotions in a way that perhaps websites can't do because they think they're talking to to a human being and sort of where the responsibility lies for um, what's felt by someone when they're talking to a chatbot or when they're talking to a voice device that's pretending to be a human being is, uh, I mean, it's a big, bigger problem with artificial intelligence is where where responsibility lies and ultimately is it the designer is it the person who's using it or is it the algorithm itself that's sort of to blame for things um but if you can imagine someone uh, block booking a, a hairdressing salon for two weeks using duplex a duplex that's a massive problem right because who who's who's at fault there yeah 
I mean, the hair salon would have no business for two weeks, and it would be a big problem for them. But, um, you know, where the liability would lie, that's probably in the small print. And that's why you need to be aware of, you know, who's responsible for what when you use these AI services and and check that data is being used responsibly and all that sort of thing. Yep. And there was just a couple more things that we wanted to cover with you, Rob. So um, you might have touched on this uh, previously in, in your previous answers, but... Um, what do you think the future holds for this technology and um, in particular, why should charities care? Yes, I think we've, we've spoken a bit about donations and that's definitely um, one area that I think charities should care about and be be looking at. Um, but the other area we haven't spoken about so much so far, I guess, is uh, particularly voices implication for search. So... Uh, there, there's a term that's becoming coined, which is answer engine optimization. And what we mean by that is traditionally, if you do a search on Google, you get uh, a list of you know the top ten websites to provide an answer for that um, for that search term, and then you get an endless list if you click through to all the all the websites that could help you out with it. With voice, it's not really possible to provide that sort of experience back to someone. Uh, you couldn't have a voice device read out multiple search results because it just takes so long. Um, so a lot have moved towards, well, all the voice devices provide one response and they choose who 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 the response is from in, in lots of different ways. Um, so I'd really recommend looking at search terms that you have now and understanding how the different voice devices are actually providing responses to them. Sometimes it's from their own knowledge base, so it's whatever they've got got stored in their database. Uh, sometimes it's um, a, a third-party application which just happens to have developed uh, uh, a, a, an action, for example, uh, to, on Google's infrastructure, so developed a Google action, um, and that will come back and it will ask, do you want to use this? And it might not be an organization that even ranks on the top 10 uh, websites on a Google search term. So it's kind of hijacking what, what users might normally be shown. And it's not necessarily showing the most um, the most relevant and I guess most trusted um, source either. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really worth looking into that. Um, and obviously the, the implications... Uh, the, the implications of that are, are really interesting because at the moment we're putting a lot of our time and effort, particularly in digital teams, to building website experiences and web pages. But actually, if you think about um, what works with voice or chatbots, any sort of conversational artificial intelligence, um, it's not really websites. It's kind of the equivalent of if you asked someone something and they gave you back a, a leaflet um, and you'll see a lot of people talking about how to optimize for voice, uh, saying things like uh, you should look at the snippets that are served back to Google to do that. But that's sort of like taking your leaflet and pointing out a section of the leaflet and going, this is the bit you should read. Uh, and actually, you know, it kind of makes makes more sense to, to me anyway that building for conversation and to provide really good conversational experiences is probably how you're going to succeed in in this space where where being good at conversation is is kind of kind of king i don't want to say it, no i don't want to say that can we cut that <laughs> <laughs> i can go in the outtakes <laughs> um right now if there are any charities listening like 
who wanted to get into the space, um, what could they do? Do you have any like tips or resources that you could share? Yeah, so I think the first thing I'd say is if you can get the devices in your office and get people trying them out, playing with them, understanding how they work, the sort of things they feed back to you. Um, is that like the Amazon Alexa things? Yeah, exactly. So it could be um, getting an Amazon Echo. It could be getting a Google Home. Um, but yeah, ideally something that is a completely screenless voice-enabled speaker device because if you don't own one in your house, it is quite hard to understand sort of what they do. And it's it's also, I think, hard for people to get past viewing them as sort of a gimmick <laughs> a lot of the time, which... Um, you know, they might end up being a gimmick, but it, everything's showing that they probably won't. Um, I guess, so the really good thing about this area is that actually there's quite a lot that's quite accessible um, to people to get started. So I've spoken more about um, about voice during the podcast, but um, both Amazon and Google offer... Uh, quite good tutorial areas where you can build your own simple um, voice skills or actions, depending on which you're building with. Um, they provide, you know, tutorial information. You can just build something as simple as kind of a quiz. I think the first thing we built at Cancer Research UK was uh, a voice skill that that literally just held our stand-ups. So um, we have two stand-ups each week where um, people share information with with each other and share knowledge and learning. And we just used a voice device to sort of run that one week as a nice way to introduce it to to the organization and show them that this stuff wasn't, you know, out of reach. And actually people who aren't coders can build something that works on those devices. Uh, with chatbots, there are several um, free chatbot services that you can use, which I think we're going to try and list in the in the details section of this podcast. Um, but you can use those to, to get started. There, there's some that are very, very simple and don't have any natural language processing. So they don't they don't let you free ask free text questions. They just let you choose options. Um, and then there are some that are more advanced. So there are different ones to cater for different needs. We, we've started using um, the Microsoft Azure chatbots now because it fit with a service we already used in the organization and they were sort of a bit more powerful and a bit more customizable and we actually wanted to launch something um live outside of CR UK so so we needed something that was quite sustainable to, to launch on so depending on what stage you're at there are different tools that may or may not be suitable um to try this stuff out um and I think advice in terms of um, the sort of use cases that people can think about, which is also quite helpful. So for voice, I, I, we did like a scan of what sort of skills are uh, and actions are successful at the moment and getting a lot of really good ratings on the on the stores and found that there were kind of three categories that are quite helpful to think about in this space. So one is convenience, and that's thinking about anything you might use your smartphone for at the moment and have to get it out and go through a, a transactional process, it, would it be easier on on voice and preferably something that's quite simple? Uh, so you can think of things like setting a timer or doing a metric to imperial conversion. Those sorts of things are really popular on those devices. Um, 
We also saw facilitation. So we've talked about charities using skills that do that sort of thing, but things like being a quiz master, running people through exercises, um, those are very popular uses of, of voice. So you don't need an extra person to do stuff. Uh, and the last one is sound. So some of the top rated skills on the on the Alexa store are things like white noise and ocean mm. ocean sounds. Um, mm. So people just wanting to put one's a dog barking called Jurassic Bark. I'm a big fan <laughs> of uh, just the name of that one, to be honest. But um, you know, people who ju- uh, skills where people just want one sound regularly. It can be as simple as that, and it can be really really popular with users. So. It's funny, quite often it's the simple things that are working on voice at the moment rather than the really complicated ones. Um, Yeah, that's super interesting. I think um, I like the, um, you mentioned about the quiz, the quiz sort of thing. I think that could have quite a lot of um, implications for, I mean, somebody like us, you know, around kind of cancer awareness or, you know, whatever a a cause that a charity has. Um, I'm sure that there's probably a lot of potential there. Yeah, and th- those those skills can be um, very simple to set up and obviously you can reuse content for them already if you have that sort of thing available in other formats. So it, it, it's quite a good one to look at for a, a sort of starting, um, starting venture into voice as well, I think. Thank you so much. So um, we hope you enjoyed hearing from Rob. Uh, Rob's Twitter handle is Robliteration. If you want to follow him, we'll make sure that um, that's shared on, on the episode notes. Um, and if you want to hear more from the technology team at CIUK, look for us on LinkedIn. Uh, you can read the technology blog at CIUKDigitalTeam.blogspot.com. Um, and again, we'll include all of these links in the show notes. Yes, and just to echo, um, big thanks to everyone who gave us positive feedback on the last episode with Anna Binia. Um, who came on to talk about the technology strategy. That episode is still available to download now if you would like to listen to it. Um, if you like this podcast or or the previous episode, please do share it on your networks. Leave us a review if you have any, or if you have any comments or thoughts about what we've been up to. Um, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes that we do have.